The Guardian. When any disease emerges, one of the most crucial ways to keep infections under control is to monitor and track its spread and identify the source of outbreaks. On a population-wide scale, this can be a real challenge, and for COVID-19, public health bodies have been rapidly establishing testing programs, collecting surveillance data, and, as you can hear about in one of our previous podcast episodes, detecting the virus in sewage systems. Another way to build a picture of transmission is to understand how the virus changes as it travels through a community. By looking at small differences in the genetic material of the virus, researchers can spot clusters of cases and even find out where they may have originated. We set up a system where we were able to rapidly sequence the viruses. We then collected um, information about the patients and we analysed both the genomic data to look for similarities and the epidemiological data to look for evidence of outbreaks. One team in Cambridge in the UK have been doing just that, acting as detectives in a local hospital. We found a large cluster of genetically identical viruses. And when we looked at those viruses, we found that in fact, most of them belonged to patients within a care home. But the other viruses were either from care workers in the care home, from paramedics, and also um, with a few patients within the hospital. I'm Nicola Davis, and this is Science Weekly. To find out more about how you can use the genetic material of the virus to work out how it's spreading, I spoke to Este Torok, an honorary consultant in infectious diseases at Cambridge University's Addenbrooke's Hospital and a member of the Cambridge team monitoring COVID-19. Este, let's talk a bit about what you're doing here. So you're looking at the DNA of the virus. Now, perhaps we should start by saying, what is it you're actually looking for when you're doing your sort of hunting there? What we are doing is we're applying um, a technique called sequencing to look at the sort of genetic fingerprint of the virus. So as you know, SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID-19. Um, and it's a an RNA virus, which means that it's prone to errors when it replicates. And what we do in the laboratory is we take diagnostic samples that contain the virus. We then change it from RNA to DNA to amplify the amount of of virus in the sample before we then put it through a sequencing machine. And that's the way that we can read the genetic fingerprint of the virus. What we did in our study then was to sequence the viruses. So we got this big, long string of letters, and then we compared each string of letters from each virus to see whether they were related or not. And what you can see then is how similar or different they are. And if you find viruses that are identical or near identical, we then look a bit deeper and look at the epidemiological data, i.e. what sort of patients they are, where they're located in the hospital or where they're located in the community, to see if we can find links in time and place between those patients. And if we find that the viruses are are, are genetically similar and that there are epidemiological links, we can be reasonably confident that there's been transmission between patients or between patients and healthcare workers. So you're sort of tracing where the virus has been and who it's spreading to. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, one of the caveats is that this virus has only been in the human population for the last six months. 
So it was obviously first reported in December last year. And so the virus is not uh, very diverse. Um, so we have to be a little bit careful about how we interpret our finding um, and make sure that when we find viruses that are similar, we also find epidemiological links. I was going to ask that. I mean, how different are these DNA sequences between viruses? I mean, for example, I mean, is, is it just sort of, you know, one or two tiny tweaks that you're seeing or is it more substantial changes? So we looked at um, samples across uh, the east of England and what we found in our data set was that there was a maximum of 24 differences, sort of mutations between all of the different viruses over uh, that period of time, so between sort of March and the end of April. The average number of differences was eight, um, but in outbreak situations, there were only normally one or two differences between the viruses. Let's talk about what you found with your work then. So you were applying your sort of detective work to the hospital in Cambridge. What did you find? Can you give us some examples of the sources of outbreaks you managed to track down or if you were able to spot how the virus was spreading? So what we did was we set up a, a system where we were able to rapidly sequence um, the viruses. Um, so we collected samples from the diagnostic laboratory and then we sequenced them using um, a method called nanopore sequencing so that we were able to generate DNA sequence data within 24 hours. We then collected um, information about the patients and we analysed both the genomic data to look for similarities and the epidemiological data to look for evidence of outbreaks. Overall, we collected information from 5,000 patients and we sequenced 1,000 samples locally and looked at 299 patients within our hospital and identified 35 clusters of identical viruses. And when we dug a little bit deeper into that, we were able to identify different patterns. In certain cases, there were clear hospital-associated outbreaks. So you would have a group of patients on a ward, many of whom had been in hospital for you know, more than seven days, who developed COVID-type symptoms within a few days of each other. And we used genomics in that situation basically to confirm that that was a hospital-associated outbreak. So that was pretty straightforward. We suspected it and we found genetic evidence of that that was supported. In another situation, we had a, a group of patients who were all associated with either the renal ward or the renal dialysis unit. Um, and we used genomics basically to discover that in fact that there were different things going on. So the patients on the renal ward were related to each other and the patients on the dialysis ward were related to each other. And when we looked at the patients who were just attending the dialysis unit, they appeared to be dialyzing on the same days in the same unit and they were sharing transportation to and from the hospital. What we could then do was look at how we could improve infection control and isolation of patients to stop transmission of the virus within you know the dialysis unit and then the and then the third example we we found um, a large cluster of genetically identical viruses and when we looked at those viruses we found that in fact um, most of them belonged um, to patients within a care home um, but the other viruses were either from um, care workers in the care home, from paramedics working in the community who presumably 
were involved in transporting patients to and from hospital and also um, with a few patients within the hospital. So in that situation, the genomics was helpful in revealing unsuspected transmission events. And so that really sort of shows the power of it, that you can use it to uh, rule in um, outbreaks, so show that patients are actually in an outbreak, both genomically and epidemiologically. You can use it to rule out outbreaks if you have a, an outbreak, but with um, patients who have different viruses, or you can use it to uncover hidden chains of transmission. And what happens after you locate a transmission chain? So you said before a bit about the patients on dialysis, but how can you use this information? Is is it just to say you need to do better um, infection control in certain settings, or are there other things that you can say? So the genomics and the epidemiology team would meet on a Tuesday. The clinical teams would say, we're interested in this ward or that ward. And so we would meet usually either in my office or over a Zoom call to sort of discuss which ones we were going to investigate that week. We'd then conduct the analysis and then we'd report it back to a meeting in the hospital with the infection control team, the infectious diseases and microbiology teams, um, and the patient safety team, and um, sometimes with occupational health as well. There, we reviewed the clinical data, the epidemiological data, and the genomic data and came up um, with a decision as to whether you know, there was an outbreak, whether it was hospital acquired, whether it was community acquired, whether there was evidence of transmission between the two. With that information, um, because we were doing it while these outbreaks were ongoing, the infection control team were then able to go to the wards uh, where the suspected outbreaks were, examine the infection control practices and PPE practices and make changes as necessary we were actually able to sequence very rapidly. We were able to provide the data to the hospital very rapidly, and they were able to act on it to bring outbreaks to a close or to prevent further transmission. In the UK, we've now sequenced, I think, uh, 27,000 genomes or something. And so we can look and see that there were multiple introductions of SARS-CoV-2 into the UK we can look at see and see how it has spread in hospital and community settings, looking backwards. Going forwards again, I think um, with you know plans to sort of increase testing in community settings, one can certainly look at how the virus is spreading in different um, community settings um, and think about how, the best ways to sort of interrupt that or control that. Can you scale this up to a national or an international scale? I mean, you sort of said to look at the mutation of the virus, that would be valuable. But can you do this tracing uh, of, of transmission in that way? Yes. So that's, I mean, that is one of the sort of aims of the um, COVID-19 uh, Genomics Consortium UK called COGUK, of which we are a part. The idea is to try and sequence viruses across the United Kingdom and link it with epidemiological data that's being collected by Public Health England in order to be able to trace virus transmission or spread across the country and obviously use it to inform public health uh, strategies. I think if you can automate the genomic analysis and automate the epidemiological analysis so that you know it's done by a computer rather than a person, and it can generate a report that you know, is intelligible to people without genomics experience, that's the way to go. But I think the challenges at the moment are collecting the clinical data in real time, sequencing the viruses in real time, and then integrating those two bits of information.
all of the SARS-CoV-2 genomes that are being sequenced are being uploaded to a website called GISAID. And if you go onto that website, you can see all the strains from around the world and you can click on pictures and look at basically the family trees to see how the virus sort of spread to different countries and how it's been spreading within different countries and how it's been diversifying or becoming more different as it spreads. And finally, just talk me through how you're continuing this work in the hospital now. I mean, presumably you have fewer cases of COVID now than you had a few months ago. We continue to sequence all samples from Addenbrooke's, which, as you say, the numbers have gone right down. We're also helping to sequence samples from other hospitals if they contact us. Um, and we're doing some uh, sequencing of community samples if they come in. So we're planning to look at sort of um, transmission within nursing home settings next. And also um, the other thing that our initial work didn't really look at was the direction of transmission. So whether it went you know, which way it went from patient A to B or B to A. And we're hoping that additional work will help us to refine that. Because at the moment, all we can say is that there are clusters that involve patients or clusters that involve patients and healthcare workers, but we're not sure who gave it to who. And we're hoping that going forwards, we'll be able to unravel that. Our study really was a proof of concept study. It's the first time that it's been really used to manage outbreaks in real time. So I think now that we've shown it's feasible, the real challenge is scaling it up, as you say, across hospitals and across countries. Well, many thanks for joining us on the podcast, Esther. It's been fascinating talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks again to Esther for joining us this week. And as always, do keep sending us your questions on the science behind the outbreak by filling in the form found at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions. That's all one word. We'll be back on Thursday with a specially selected episode from the archives. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.